0: Good morning, my name's Adam, if we haven't had a chance to meet, and youngins, you are free to head on up out of here and go get your stuff downstairs going. Have a great morning, we will see you here in a little bit, and as our kids leave, um, as that, that air kind of feels like it's getting sucked from the room, would you join me in praying for our kids? Uh, Holy Spirit, would you be with our kids? Would you open their, their eyes to your love? Father, would you connect them with each other, with their teachers? Would you be with our kids in Jesus' name? Amen. All right. Get all situated up here. Um, Good morning. Well, we are in the midst of our summer of heroes here at the Vineyard. We're using Hebrews chapter 11 as as a vehicle to guide us through the meta narrative of Scripture with examples of, of ordinary people that participated with God in some pretty extraordinary ways. So we call them heroes, or at least somebody at some point called them heroes, or wouldn't have heroes of the faith as a, like a a header in my Bible. Somebody called them heroes at some point, Uh, but we also can take note of how, how their actions were not like leap over tall building type actions, or like faster than a speeding bullet type actions. They're not superhero, or superhuman actions They're not actions of like a highly gifted or highly skilled or highly trained individual. These are broken people that are getting less broken as they trust God. Broken people that choose to participate with God. People that that take their fragmentedness and pass it through their relationship with God. Because they were so ordinary, we can see them as encouraging examples. These are examples that, that of, of what's available to us, examples of what we are capable of, especially when we recognize that, that theirs is not an example of a product of effort or achievement. Faith what we see as we go through Hebrews 11 is a product of participation. It's an outcome of a relationship that's both intellectual and intuitional, and so it requires both knowing something and then allowing that knowledge to to create informed expectations. And we do this with each other all the time. This is the same thing that we do with God. We allow our knowledge of God to form expectations, and, and through that, we then operate in faith. It's a product of participation. Now, we also are going to see here that, that faith is not a, a one-time deal. This isn't something, it's, like not, it's not a one-off experience. Faith is, is something that, that is a new relational dynamic once we achieve it. So, in other words, we're saved by faith in Jesus, but that same faith that we have that leads us to salvation the first time, is the same faith that will allow us to trust God to do God-type things, to carry out and continue his unstoppable plan of reconciliation. The same faith that we use that brings us to his feet, brings us to his throne that very first time, is the same faith that we, that we can activate and utilize as our relationship grows with him. These stories of of heroes in Hebrews 11 are stories that can encourage those that have faith in Jesus, but also for those that don't yet have faith, that don't know God, these stories can demonstrate how the character of God builds trust and invites relationship. So today, we're going to take a very modest view of this. We're only going to talk about Noah and Abraham. Uh, (laughs) We are, uh, yeah, that's, and and I can see a clock, so just so you know, we're going to talk about Noah and Abraham, and I do have a clock in my field of view, so all of those things will will be true. Um, But today we are going to examine the acts of faith of, of Noah and Abraham, two figures that played an important role in human history. Men that actually existed, men that actually treaded on the earth, men that actually had a huge impact on human history. But they came to those roles because their faith in God made them able to participate in God's plan, not because of something they were able to achieve, because they knew the character of God, and they used that character, that knowledge of that character, to create expectations of who God is and what God will do. All of that allowed them to participate in the plan of God, to grow in their own faith, and then become encouraging examples for us. So let's let the writer of Hebrews present that story. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For because he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and, that he re- and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that, would, that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So the writer of Hebrews presents these acts of of this man, Noah. He built a boat. He saved his family. He obeyed God through faith. And then this faith led to the condemnation of the rest of the world, as well as leading to Noah's righteousness with God, his right relationship with God. All of that is presented to us by by the writer of Hebrews, in order to encourage our faith and encourage us to acts of faith. Now the story of Noah, uh, which we don't have time for the whole story here, but the story of Noah found in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 6 through 8, to give a quick paraphrase of what's happening here, is that the world had gotten so wicked and so full of evil, so full of chaos, that God decided that the only remedy was to destroy everything, destroy everything that was created, just wipe it all out. Now in the midst of this, in the midst of all of that chaos, in the midst of all of that evil, in in the midst of of the uh, the entirety of creation um, falling into sin and walking away from God, there was this man Noah. A man described in Genesis 6 is one that found favor with the Lord, a righteous man, the only blameless man living on the earth, and one that walked in close fellowship with God. So, Right off the bat, we see a similarity between Noah and Enoch, who we talked about last week, a hero that, that looks and acts differently than the rest of the culture around him, Look, looks and acts differently than the rest of humanity. As Abel and Enoch showed worship of acts of faith, what we're going to see with Noah and Abraham in a moment Faith is demonstrated by obedience, and it's the obedience that sets them apart from the rest of humanity, but also as examples for us on our journey through Hebrews 11. Now, Noah's obedience is summed up in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. That's obedience. The Lord told Noah to do some pretty outrageous things. Build a boat, now, now we talk about a boat. We're not like—I mean, I, I tried to build a boat one time. I was very young. It didn't work. We're not talking about that kind of boat. We're talking about like this is one of the the why I love I love watching um, Evan Almighty. Have you ever seen that movie? You see like like that type of boat. Um, I do like the fact that he, you know, he had the animals help him. That, you know, that was a pretty cool part of the story. Um, Not really a a scripture story. But I love, like, we're talking about building a boat. This This is not normal, especially in the middle of a place that doesn't have water. Just building a boat. He built a boat. He looked like a fool. He built a boat. The Lord told him to gather his family pairs of animals and wait for a flood now remember these are things that that, that scripture i mean what we just read in in hebrews chapter 11 things that had never happened before and so what he did was he built a boat to prepare for an event that had never happened before there was no context for this and so he looked like a fool He had pairs of animals start to cram the decks of this boat waiting for this thing that had never happened. He looked like a fool. What we see in Genesis 6 through 8, chapter 6 through 8, is that he suffered the ridicule of those around him because what he was doing had never been done before and it didn't make any sense. He looked like a fool. In the midst of looking like a fool... Noah built a boat and gathered animals. Now, this one is, is difficult for me because, honestly, obedience joins faith and hero. We talked about those two words last week, about how they're, they're hard words to hear. Certainly hard words for me when I first became a Christian, when I first began to believe in Jesus. Obedience, faith, hero, all that stuff, these were hard words for me to, to one, to, to, to hear but also to try to apply it to my life. As a new believer, obedience was an uncomfortable word. It was so uncomfortable that, that the word obedience actually stumped my growth as a Christian for a long time. It especially stumped my growth when obedience came upon or came near the word submit. I know that nobody else here has struggled with that, so let me tell you a little bit about my story so you can understand me a little bit better. Uh, but, but man, when you put submit and obedience or submit and obey in proximity with each other and then you, you present this to me as something that, that I should be operating with, uh, oh man, obey and submit are difficult words. They're difficult words for me. They're difficult words for a good American boy to hear because they push it back against what, what culture tells me is my birthright independence, self determination, personal sovereignty. I don't feel like they passed this. They're like, did, did they tell Patrick Henry about this? Man, my struggle with obedience. Why it feels so distasteful and dissatisfying. Often, when I look back over my walk, can be tied to my image of God. When obedience, obey, submission, submit, when those words give me trouble, it's usually tied to the way that I'm imaging God. an extension then not just tied to how I'm imaging God but also how I'm relating to the image of God that I've created when my image of God is he's a rule maker he's a law enforcement officer he's a rigid order keeper when I think of him as as a wrath bringer I chafe at obedience for the same reason that I chafe at authority. I chafe at anything that might infringe on my illusion of control. Let me say that again. I chafe at anything that would infringe upon my illusion of control. Even when I'm viewing rampant chaos around me, when I'm viewing chaos in, in the world around me, when I'm viewing chaos that, that I've created and it's happening around me, when I am when I'm viewing chaos that, that I'm participating in or that, I'm okay, that, that I've allowed to happen, when, I'm, when I am seeing all this chaos, I can often fool myself into feeling like I'm actually in control of this And losing that control means giving something up and obedience and submission become curse words. Viewing God from this perspective is really about keeping him at arm's length. So I'm not sure if this has ever been your, your reality with God, but this is the thing that stumped my, gro- my growth in the Lord. I keep God at arm's length during regular times because I got it. I'm in control. I don't need any help. In other words, I don't want your interference. I can keep God at arm's length during the ordinary times. But then, when the times become not so ordinary, when I find crisis, when I, I find myself in fear, instead of arm's length, God, now I'm begging for his intervention, like, change everything! Everything! Except for the stuff that, when when things are going good, like I I still want to control that. But man, when nothing's going well, when I am when I am when I am on my knees, when I am at the end of my rope, when I am at the bottom of the barrel, Lord, would you please intervene? But stay out of the rest of my life. The illusion of control. The illusion of sovereignty. What it shows me is that my relationship with God, and this is really the the, the key of why my growth was was stumped, is that that the relationship was not about love. The relationship was about comfort. And so instead of loving God and being loved by God, I was looking for comfort. And so when I could create my own comfort, I didn't need God. But when my comfort was, was violated, Lord, come make me comfortable again. It was about leveraging God as a tool in pursuit of competitive survival. This type of interaction is the epitome of religion. This is what religion is based upon. The foundation of religion is about comfort. It's cold, legal obedience. The exchange of something for something. But the obedience of Noah and the obedience of Abraham... This is an obedience of warm, personal obedience. Not something for something else, but something for someone. Actions that support relationship. So what we see from Noah and Abraham is a willingness to submit themselves to the will of God and to put that will into effect, to allow that will to operate, to activate in their life. Noah acted based on on what God told him, but when we take a step deeper, he acted because he knew God could and should be trusted. He demonstrated that the rest of culture was wrong and found himself in right relationship with God because he had faith, and that faith came from knowing who God is, and building an expectation on what could come from that character. And so obedience truly is about experiencing God's plan for reconciliation. In Leviticus chapter 25, we see, If you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. 1 Samuel 15 Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Let's paraphrase Samuel for a second. What's more pleasing to the Lord, your religion or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. relationship always preferable more than religion but paul in romans adds another point to this discussion in romans chapter six don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey you can be a slave to sin which leads to death or you can choose to obey god which leads to righteous living thank god once you were slaves of sin but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching, this teaching that we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. You've become slaves to righteous living. The danger of all of this is is a lie that comes from the pit of hell, a lie that the enemy is really good at presenting, a lie that we are really good at connecting to, a lie that That tells us that we're not in submission to something that we're not in obedience to something We are submitted to something Whether it's god or something other than god. We are submitted to something we worship something And and taking taking a look a a wide-angle look At how we spend our resources is a great way of figuring out what we worship our time energy and money where that goes typically tells us what we worship. But the lie that we can uh, indulge ourselves in is that we don't need to obey Jesus. We don't need to submit to God because we don't need to submit to anything. That pride is a shroud over the reality that we are all submitted to something. One of those things leads to death. The other to life. So obedience also demonstrates love. It it demonstrates what we love. Obedience demonstrates what we place our hope in. Obedience demonstrates what we trust. It also demonstrates what participation in God's plan looks like. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments in first john chapter two and, and these three verses that that one and the next two are all written by the apostle john there's something interesting about the thrust of, of what his writings are in, in the letter that he wrote in first john chapter two those who obey god's word truly show how completely they love him this is how we know we are living in him one thing that's really important about the language that's used in that letter, that, that the Apostle John used in there, is, is this is how we know we are living in him. That, there's a difference between living in him, living for him. And it's an important difference here. Living in God, what, what living in him, living in Jesus, indicates that we are living in participation of the plan. We are in, we talk about the economy of God. This is like economy of God writ large, where we get to give, but this is living in the, the, in participating in the plan of order. Sometimes when we hear for God, it becomes about behavior. It becomes about being good. Is there anybody here that's good at being good? Amen. Thank you. Yeah, John Jansen raises his hand. That's, uh, and all of Levina cringe just now. <laughs> I love you. I apologize. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, John 15. John 15, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Obedience is about order. Obedience is about participating in creation as creation was designed. So we remember in Hebrews 11, verse 3 by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Everything was created by the Creator, everything was created for form, and function. Obedience only feels like a loss of something. It only feels like like we've lost something that we're entitled to when we're out of order. Obedience only feels like we've lost something when we're in chaos. It only feels like we've lost something when our order is something other than what was intended by God. Now, this is one thing I just... If you, uh, being uh, uh, in the the Marine Corps, I know this is true, and if you were in the military, you know this as well. Like, things work best when when, when their their form and function lines up with how we're using them, right? So, um, things are designed to work for a purpose. If you were in the military, you know that when you get new gear, you ask two questions. What does this do, and what will it really do? Right? And this is like this is one of the things you know if you ever try to sell me a product don't tell me it's military grade because i know what that means it was made by the cheapest bidder and it's going to break as soon as i try to use it the first time so you know what do you see like you know military grade strength i know what that means don't sell that to me i ain't buying but things everything was created for a purpose and it works best when we use it for that purpose that's why car keys are not good Q tips for your ears. Right, Larry? Am I tr- is that right? Larry's a doctor. He says yes. Truth in preaching, right there. Don't put your car key in your ear. Obedience is about order. A lot of guys I just saw a couple of guys put their keys back in their pockets. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we'll get you lined up, we'll get you some gear that you can use. Um, obedience allows us to remain in the love of God not because we're good, not because we achieve it, not because we have, like, cracked the code or worked the formula or worked the system or, or won, like, competed and won. We remain in God's love because we become participants in a healthy, functioning system everything works best when it's functioning as it was designed to function. Noah is able to place his faith in God because he sees the form and function that flows from the word of God. Noah took God at his word. He trusted that God would be faithful. He saw all of this as examples of God's character and he built expectations based on that character. Abraham provides us with our next example of faith expressed through obedience. So back into Hebrews 11. We're going to go, this is Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, and then we're going to jump to 17 and 19. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is a son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Two examples from the life of Abraham. First, the example that initiated his relationship with God. This event demonstrates the depths of faith and obedience that flow from the relationship that came with encountering The Lord. The story of Abraham actually fills 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. The life of Abraham would appropriately be topics for sermons and sermon series that would go a lot longer than what we've got time for today. But for our purposes, his calling by God confirmed a covenant. And his testing in Genesis 22 also uh, point to this, this status of a hero of faith that demonstrate his knowledge of God and his use of that knowledge to build expectation. In Genesis chapter 12, we see God call on Abraham uh, to leave his family in Haran and go to a land that God would show him. God promises to bless Abraham and to create through him a great nation. So this is what we know as, as the, the, the covenant That God makes with Abraham. And that that covenant has three parts. One is land to settle and thrive upon. Another is a lineage and then a blessing on him through his lineage and all that would interact with him. So required from Abraham is obedience on his side of the covenant. Obedience born out of faith that God would accomplish the vision that he gave to Abraham. In the same way that, that Noah had a vision from God, Abraham is presented with, with a vision and called to obey as that image, as that vision would come to pass. Following this call to adventure, I call it a call to adventure uh, because I really don't know what else it is. Uh, Genesis 12 through 17 shows Abraham on an adventure with God. God tells him, like, this is, this is a rich dude. This guy was, was squared away. His life was going pretty well. He had, like, I mean, he had comfort. And God said, hey, just leave all that and just come out and, and we're going to do some pretty cool stuff. But you've got to leave all that stuff. He, this is an adventure. Abraham is, like, the first adventurer in the history of the world. So this call to adventure that we see in Genesis 12 through 17, it shows kind of this, yeah, I'm aware that I'm on adventure, but also struggling with the desire to help God accomplish the vision by speeding up God's timeline. And he's doing this really, I think, out of comfort. He, you know, also, he really did want to see God's vision come through, but he also, you know, the sooner the vision would be accomplished, the, the sooner he would be, you know, tied back into comfort. And so there was times where he tried to help God along with the timeline, Efforts that, ge- that, that, that show a general instability in Abraham's life. Although he, he becomes wealthy in terms of will, worldly possessions and comfort, he never finds that permanent settlement in the land. He, he, doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't have a child to carry on his lineage in, in, verse, or in chapters 12 through 17. He's still lacking some key points to this covenant. He doesn't have it all yet, and he's wondering, like, Lord, I'm old. What is going to happen? How is this going to work out? We see Abraham try to help God with efforts that don't pan out. We see see Abraham try to help, not not only do they not pan out, but they're really, like, bad ideas. You know, we're going to talk about the the faith of Sarah next week, and honestly, part of this, I don't know how she didn't, like, she should have whooped him. Sarah, Abraham's wife, I mean, really, that's all we, some of these ideas that he comes up with are dumb, I can see how he may I've had some dumb ideas in my life. We see him trying to help God. But they're not in line with the vision that God gave him. So the first step of faith was to step off on adventure. But while he was on the adventure, his actions showed... That his faith hadn't quite blossomed. He had faith, because he's on the he's on the the adventure. But the things that he's doing are demonstrating that he doesn't he's not quite gotten to the place of trusting that God would be good to his word. And so Genesis 21 shows a vital piece of this covenant fulfilled that sort of changes. Some things for Abraham. A son is born to Abraham and his wife Sarah. The covenant fulfillment is, predict, is predicated on him having a son. Now that son's here. The covenant, the vision, starting to, to take some shape. But with it comes a test and a foreshadowing of how God will execute his plan. Of reconciliation, Genesis 22, 1-2 says sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God said, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Obedience includes a willingness to submit which comes out of a developed trust for the one to whom we're submitting. So trust also is a byproduct of love. When we love God, we place ourselves in a position to obey and remain faithful to him. Now, centuries later, Moses will say that the true life begins with loving God and is sustained by growing love for him. Abraham, is being tested in this way. This test, now viewed from our four thousand-ish year distant uh, vantage point over history, is a little disconcerting. Like, what is God really doing here? It seems kind of honestly, it seems a little jacked up. God finally gives Abraham a son, and now after demonstrating difficulty and inconsistent inconsistency in establishing faith with God, he has a son. And then God tells him to kill it, to kill his son. Without context, without understanding the nature of God, without understanding his plan, this seems, at best, calloused and cruel. But we have clues right away that something going on is, is different than what we might expect. So God, in initiating this test, tells Abraham to get his son, his dearly loved son, something that we are going to hear echoed in the Gospels when Jesus is baptized, take his son to Mount Moriah. Now, one sacrifice is beginning to point to another sacrifice that, that is to come, because Mount Moriah It's an interesting choice for the sacrifice. This place where Abraham is headed to sacrifice his son is going to be the place that David will secure and that Solomon will build the temple. On the place where Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, this will be the place of the temple where God will reside. Now, from this very spot, from where this event is happening, one could stand there and look across. You could look across a a, a valley and in the distance... That from, the, from this place, you can look and see Golgotha, the place where Jesus will be crucified thousands of years later. This is the place where Abraham is taking Isaac. Genesis 22 captures Abraham agonizing over this trip. He's taking uh, this trip to the place of sacrifice. He's taking his son Isaac, the son that he dearly loves. Um, they're walking together together. Um, and, and this, this sacrifice is going to be a demonstration of faith that Abraham has, but he's walking with his son that he will soon kill and, and put on an altar and burn. On this hill, facing Golgotha, facing where Je- Jesus would be crucified, there's another connection that begins to, to kind of play out here. Um, connecting this sacrifice to the one to come, the sacrifice, the offering, Abraham's old, Isaac's a young man. Isaac carries the wood for Abraham. He carries the wood for Abraham to build the altar that he will be sacrificed upon. The weight is being hauled by that which will be sacrificed. As Jesus carried the cross and bore the weight of our sin, Isaac is carrying the wood for the fire, To the place where he's going to be offered by Abraham. Genesis 22, 9 through 14 gives us some more of the story. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At the moment, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yaira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The name Yahweh Jirah or Jehovah Jireh is the verb to see, but it also means the Lord foresees or the Lord will see to it. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. The Lord will provide. It was Abraham's faith that was tested and God's character once more revealed Jehovah Jireh God will provide the long distance outcome of this reality is foreshadowed by the event that's made clear to us in John John chapter 3 for this is how God loved the world he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life god sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him jesus will be the ultimate provision the sacrifice that God provides for us to be reconciled to him. The only requirement for this provision is faith. Faith in God. Faith in Jehovah Jireh. Faith in God is our provider. Abraham's faith was a faith ready for adventure. Participating with God meant leaving his home and entering the unknown. Based on what he knew of God, this was an informed risk. A risk that flowed from trust. William Barclay, one of my favorite commentators, points to this adventure when he said, In the best of us, there is a certain timorousness. I did look up that word. It is real. Timorousness. In the best of us, there is a certain timorousness. We wonder just what would happen to us if we take God at his word and act on his commands and promises. This adventure with God takes the faith that Abraham demonstrated. I don't know if I described anybody here but me, but that does describe me rather well. There's a part of me that wonders, what would happen if I actually did take God at his word? What would happen if I actually did trust everything that God was saying? What would happen? And what we see is that is the call to adventure that Abraham had. Abraham's faith required patience though because the patience it, it, it makes it more remarkable. He's on an adventure but he's waiting in the midst of the adventure and that would slay me. Patience is not my strong suit. Waiting for this all to happen, being on this adventure, he's patient. He learned that adventure is God's which means that the time is God's, the timeline is God's, and Abraham's faith kept his hope alive as he waited. His faith also led him to look beyond his world into a future that he would not see as he walked the earth. The vision that he was executing, he was a participant of, but it was not for him. He had a vision of what God would do. That's it. He had a vision of what God would do, and he joined God in that future vision. Abraham's faith allowed him to adventure with God because he was submitted to God's vision over any vision he himself could create. Noah and Abraham experienced God and placed their faith in him. They stepped into a covenant relationship. They both step into covenant relationships, a covenant relationship that is offered to us as well. They had faith because they saw the vision. They had faith because they knew God. They had faith because they knew that God would be faithful to accomplishing the vision. Now, the reality is, this call to adventure is a call that we all have as well. The idea that, that only these folks were given a vision from the Lord is also alive from the pit of hell. This vision, God has a vision for each of us. God has a vision for us individually, and God has a vision for us collectively as the vineyard. When we're able to tune into that vision take what we know of God's character and apply it to our expectations, obedience results. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back up, and, and um, we're going to, to enter in again a time of worship, but also a time where I'm going to invite you to participate. And So also, I'd invite the, the prayer team to come forward as well, and, and I, w- I want to talk a little bit about what we're going to do in this time. Uh, a couple of things come to mind as I'm, as I'm up here praying for, for us as a group and also thinking about how this applies to me. I think there's some work that, that we might uh, be called to do with the Holy Spirit this morning. And so the first thing that I want to say is if, if there is anyone here that when I talk about the way that we image God, if you are imaging God in a way that would be pointed towards a, a need for better behavior, Or a need to do something to avoid incurring wrath. If there's something that that is in your image of God that's tied to anger or disappointment, I would invite you to come forward and receive prayers we worship. But there's another thing here that comes with a, a, a very quick story. Um, now, I have agreed with my kids to never identify them when I'm telling a story about them in a sermon. And so I will just say that, that my youngest daughter uh, gave me uh, a picture of, of, of sometimes how much I struggle to hear God. And so what I want to do also is invite anyone who is struggling to hear God to come and, and, and tune in so we can hear his vision. We bought uh, alarm clocks for our daughters, you know, for the summertime to help them wake up on their own and start to get a little bit of responsibility. And man, her alarm clock was broke. Her alarm clock didn't, it didn't work. All it did was make this noise. It didn't work. So she just quit using it. She just would try to like wake up by listening to, to her sisters getting up because her alarm clock didn't work. She didn't realize because she grew up in this age of technology where you, like, you push buttons and then you hear a, a radio, uh, uh, you hear a radio station. She didn't realize that that dial on the side and that needle would move. And as you move it, you get closer to a frequency. And when you get to that frequency, you hear the words come. She was struggling to tune in. And so she gave up. How many of us struggle to tune in? and then give up. Man, when we get close and I don't know if you remember back in the day, sometimes you'd get like you'd go too far and then you'd have to bring it back a little bit and then you'd get you'd get it tuned into that place where this is the best for the atmospheric conditions where we could hear the music play. If you need help tuning to the Lord, I invite you to come forward to pray because I can tell you now, just as the sound waves are always being put out there the Lord is always talking sometimes to tune in we have to eliminate distraction sometimes to tune in we need the help and the love of somebody that we're walking on this this adventure with sometimes we just need to give him room and so if any of those things are you as we continue our morning together I would encourage you to come up and give prayer.